goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finally, McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. the golden homers are back and we are recording on uh wednesday night here before uh thanksgiving um as always uh mason plum on the line with me uh mason i think it's safe to safe to say notre dame is coming off their most impressive dominant victory of the season um and uh, both of me and you were in attendance to watch it live so that that was obviously really fun got to got to hang out with you and a few of our other you know slap the sign um, you know, I guess coworkers for lack of a better word. Um, but, uh, got back on Sunday night and, uh, now I've been covering, uh, Irish men's hoops all week for our good friend, Brian Driscoll over at, uh, Irish breakdown, um, you know, at the Maui invitational that's being played at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Um, so kind of a long and crazy last couple of weeks, but also been really fun and I'm happy to be back here recording with you. Yeah. Excited. For sure, yeah. It's uh, heading into another good week, and yeah, you you said it. Georgia Tech was super fun, uh, being able to see everybody, and then being able to catch a game in person. I know that's way more common for me than it is for you being in the South Bend area, but uh, yeah, it was awesome to get, kind of be able to catch a game with you, get some tailgating in, and uh, yeah, Notre Dame basketball is in the swing of things, so it's a fun time of year for sure. Yeah, there's always. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, you obviously live a little bit closer to campus than I do. It's you know sort of just a what a 15, 20 minute drive. Uh, right. for yourself and for me it's more of a four or five hour plane ride um you know and obviously a lot of a lot of bit a lot more logistical things that go into it to kind of get over there but you know there's a level of nostalgia whenever i get back on campus uh, i love walking around notre dame's campus and uh, part of it is because i you know i am you know irish catholic and and that plays a big role my my uncle who was with me or, or one of my uncles i should say that was this past week Notre Dame grad and you know he kind of knows everything about the campus and even sort of the new parts and stuff like that that come in he's always very aware of what's going on um you know but we you know we we got to tour the campus just like usual ended up auto lit a candle for for my dad uh which was a really cool moment because it was the first time I was back on uh since he passed away earlier this year and then you know walked into the cathedral and you know, saw, saw the player walk and just different things like that, which are stuff that I think some Notre Dame fans maybe take for granted if they get their basis. Um, but it was really fun for fun for me. And then obviously got to see uh, a 55 nothing threat of, of uh, I think, a fairly talented team in Georgia Tech. And we'll get into that here soon. Um, but certainly... You know, I don't think either of either myself or you going into that game, you know, walking up the stairs and stuff like that, thought that they would win 55 to nothing. And so certainly a resume builder of sorts just because they were able to put the whooping on uh, Georgia Tech. And um, yeah, but anyways, just, you know, obviously have a fun podcast ahead uh, for you guys today. And I'm excited to dive in. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about just you know the Georgia Tech game in general. Um, some of our some of our thoughts, uh, Mason. What what did you kind of take away from this game overall? Well, I think you and I both knew going into it that more than likely Notre Dame was going to win, right? And more than likely they're going to win big. But uh, if you would have told me beforehand Notre Dame would win fifty five zero, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily believed you. I would have assumed that Notre Dame would score in the forties, maybe hit a fifty burger. But I would have I would have also assumed that. Georgia Tech would get on the board. They have decent talent, and I didn't expect them to look nearly as bad as they did. Um, it can't all be attributed to the quarterback, but a lot of it was that. And then the Notre Dame pass for us was just relentless, and uh, two defensive touchdowns uh, helped out quite a bit in stalling their offense as well as propelling Notre Dame to such a substantial victory. So super fun to watch for sure. You saw people that uh, that left the game early, but you and I stayed stayed the whole time. Of course, you got to stay for it all, and Got to see some fireworks at the end with uh, with Myron Tagovailoa Mosa. That touchdown was electric. I can't remember being that excited in the stadium for a long time for a play that you know many people may look over as not a huge deal, but can't imagine a guy deserves it much more than him and the the time and effort he's put into the program and what he's been through in the last year. Yeah, you know, certainly not too many negatives that that 
came away from that game. It was funny. Me and you were talking, obviously, drive when Notre Dame ended up settling for a field goal. And we're like, man, here we go. And, uh, you know, the team's going to end up, you know, obviously winning the game, but it's probably going to be something, you know, along the Virginia where they aren't necessarily able to score at will, even though it felt like they should have. Um, and even on Georgia Tech's first drive, kind of moving the ball a little bit. I think they got close to, you know, close to the 50 yard line or whatever. And then, and then the quarterback made, you know, just that horrific decision to throw the ball right to Jack Kaiser essentially. And then um, from, from there on out, it was, it it looked like a team that was disinterested um, and being, being there and and wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. And and Notre Dame uh, certainly didn't help, you know, with that cause putting a, like I said earlier, putting kind of a whooping on them and, you know, almost getting to, uh, I don't know, I forgot what you called it, if they would have gotten to the 60. Oh, 60 lobster. I don't know where I heard that, but I'm going to roll with it, I think. Where, what was it called again? I, I, don't, I didn't hear you too well. A 60 lobster? 60 lobster. I was about to say something about like 60 turkey or something like that, but I think I'm thinking well, a little bit. We could be a turkey. That's fitting. <laughs> I, think I'm, uh, I think I'm thinking too much about all night, but, um, but yeah. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, it was it, it was a great showing by both the offense and the defensive side of the ball. Um, I know uh, Beth Elston, Mike Elston's uh, wife, was probably busy making some cookie sacks for him. You know, after getting what was it like somewhere between like six and eight sacks uh, a day, and then and then obviously with Myron, um, you said this earlier. You know, just terrific for him, especially on senior day and get get him out of Notre Dame um, with that sort of uh, you know finish. Uh, it felt it felt right for what he's gone through this this year, um, and then just how good of a, a guy he is um, as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's so fun to watch, and he's he's been a guy that's progressively gotten better on the field. And yeah, you, you know, you and I read about you know Notre Dame guys all the time, and he's a Notre Dame guy you know, to a tease, great guy on and off the field. He's given his all for the program. And yeah, it was so exciting to see him scoop and score. And of course, forced by Isaiah Foskey. I, th- I think I tweeted during the game. It seems like he does this every week, a strip sack. So in a way, I mean, you love it, but at the same time, it's like, man, I hope he's not doing that on Sundays next year. And maybe he'll stick around for one more year, you know? Yeah. I have, I have a feeling that Foskey's going to end up staying. And I actually have a pretty good feeling about a lot just from stuff I've heard. Um, you know, from some people that are know than us, you know, I think Jarrett Patterson's going to end up staying along the offensive line. Josh Lug has even talked about staying. It's kind of interesting, which which would make for uh, a dilemma at tackle and guard season, especially if he stays at the tackle position um, with with Joe Alt. You know, obviously playing really well as a true, and you probably don't want to you know stunt his growth or development by by making him a backup um, in year and then obviously Blake Fisher who is the the tackle should be back and you know obviously I think he's a guy that can move inside to guard um full of you know put your best guys on the field or your your best five on the field and and make it work and then tell Blake that about to to tackle again the next season and if he's a team player I'm sure he's he's more than willing to do that uh, if Lug returns, but, you know, moving on to some other guys, I mean, I, I'm feeling a little bit more confident that Jason Adam Malola is going to return, which would be great. Um, and I think it would actually be interesting because then I would be able to move to sort of Myron's spot at, at the strong side defensive end, where I think he's very good to play. Um, Freeman's defense. And, and that would certainly be, um, you're bringing back some linebackers that didn't get to play this year. Um, I think even earlier on in the season, there was some talk that Bo Bauer, you know, might test the NFL wall, kind of make a team as a special teams guru. Um, but now I think he's going to end up returning. So uh, I know we kind of talked about this off off air a little bit, but it's starting to feel like a lot of these guys want to return because they think that there could be something special next year. Yeah, I think they have to see that this was maybe they don't believe this in inside the program and you probably shouldn't, but they a lot of people claim this to be a rebuilding year. I, I, you and I mentioned this that the line for Notre Dame total wins this year was eight and a half. So not only did Vegas not think much of Notre Dame 
but a lot of people around the country seem to not think much of Notre Dame. And it looks very likely that they're going to be 11 and one and very much in the hunt for a playoff spot with a roster that didn't really look like it was going to be able to do that, especially when you consider the losses that they've had on defense, losing Kyle Hamilton, losing Maris Leofau, and uh, the, the losses at wide receiver as well. Just some, some positions you can't really afford to lose. You had Michael Mayer out for a couple weeks. Just big-time losses. So um, I think that this this team has showed resilience. It's seen a lot of a lot of young guys step up, and I think – that the older group is like, wow, you know, we can bring this whole group back with some new added talent, with bring some guys back healthy, and then really make another run at this. Of course, you are nearly 100% likely to lose Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams, which are arguably your two best players on this team. But you got to like the future of those individual positions and just the, the future of this team in general. And I think that, that speaks volumes to uh, as to why these guys want to stay. And that, you know, it's funny, that was actually something I wanted to touch on. I mean, you mentioned the safety position and the running back position specifically Um, in regards to to running back. I mean, I'm still sort of in the boat that I'm not 100 percent convinced Kyron's leaving. Um, I I think he loves Notre Dame and and he and he's a guy that is actually very much considering staying. I mean, I think when when kind of the dust settles, he'll probably end up going to the NFL because he'll realize he can't pass up that opportunity. And then obviously Kyle Hamilton's a top five, top ten pick, um, and, and he almost has to leave. Um, so, But you're starting to see some of these guys emerge in those spots that make you feel really good. You know, in, in regards to running back, I mean, obviously Logan Diggs has shown it uh, for the majority of this season – Audrick Estime looked really good against Georgia Tech when he got some touches. We know what Chris Tyree can do when he's when he's fully healthy, um, especially just from an explosive play standpoint. You're bringing in one of the better running back recruits in the country in Jadarian Price. So they should have a very good room even without Kyron Williams. Um, and then with safety, it's, it's definitely a position that's trending up. Coming into the year, it felt like the weak spot of the – of the team, but with Xavier Watts moving over from, from wide receiver, he looks very comfortable, much more comfortable. I think on the defensive side of the ball than he, than he was on offense. And I mean, we obviously didn't get to see him too much on offense. Williams that, you know, he, he essentially moved over and was hurting at wide receiver from an injury standpoint. And then within a couple of weeks, essentially he's not necessarily a starter, but kind of like a, a lot of you know a lot of minutes um, or snaps on that side of the ball. Ramon Henderson has has moved over there from corner um, and looks much more natural as well. Um, and then of course DJ Brown is is as steady as it gets. I think for just a, a, a college player, um, you know he's not going to make many mistakes. He's a he's a sound tackler um, and he's come a long way since you know the first couple weeks of the season. And then you know who knows maybe they'll bring in a grad transfer. I'm, they have some other guys that are, you know, waiting in the wings that that could step up and, and be sort of a next year as well. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that you expected, or at least you and I expected. You know, we we uh, we get into recruiting pretty heavily, and there's guys that you you know you really like the ceiling of a certain guy or whatever. I remember liking what I saw from Ramon Henderson, but I would not have believed at the start of the season that he would be an impact contributor. I liked what I've, what I saw from Logan Diggs, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be a guy that contributes season one as a freshman. I, you know, I thought there'd be a bigger role for SIBO. I thought maybe the estimate would be a guy that gets in there earlier, but Diggs has proved himself to be the, the second running back and through a couple of injuries and Tyree not being able to stay healthy and not being able to get through arm tackles. The, the future of the running back position looks as bright as I can remember at Notre Dame and safety looks really good as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to end up landing Xavier Nwankba. I mean, without getting into too much detail, I know our, our boy Tom Loy at, on Irish Illustrated, I think he put in a crystal ball forecast for Iowa today. Um, so that's a guy that they're probably not going to land. I mean, they're, they're looking at a few other guys, I think, in the 2022 class. But, you know, they, they did land Devin Moore already, safety you know, prospect. And he's a kid that I could easily see competing for playing time as a freshman um, at either spot. Um, You know, I know there's been maybe some talk of Clarence Lewis moving to safety. So if he does, maybe Devin Moore steps into a role at corner. But if Clarence Lewis stays at at Moore's able to get on the field a little bit faster, um, 
safety spot. And then I know me and you like some of the younger guys like Kari G um, specifically looks like a, um, maybe a Rover type down the road, but certainly a kind of a head hunter type of type of safety in the mold of uh, maybe lesser athletic uh, Kyle Hamilton but with, but with size and speed that he can, he can play that, that spot and was a really big win for Notre Dame on the recruiting trail late last season. So no, there's, there's definitely some, we can go on about this for days. Like you said, we love recruiting, um, you know, and some of the younger guys, but there, there definitely seems to be a way bigger bright spot. Um, specifically in the secondary than there was coming into the season outside of Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, no doubt about it. And like, like I said, just a minute ago, you, you expect some guys, you see some guys that are studs and you're like, Oh, they're going to contribute day one. You have your Michael Myers, your, your Kyle Hamilton's that are just freaks. And you expect them to, to come in and contribute like a Jalen Sneed, for example, as a freshman, you expect him to force his way into getting playing time, even in a group of linebackers that's expected to be a veteran group. But then you, there's these random guys that end up, you know, sh- starring out in, in the, whether it's spring or they just get their opportunity and really prove themselves. And that's what I'm really looking forward to in this class specifically, because I think it's as deep of a class as I can remember in recent times. And like you mentioned, Devin Moore being a three-star is criminal. I think that he's he's going to be a guy that plays early at Notre Dame. And uh, the, the staff has said all the right things in terms of that they really believe in him and what they think that he can be. So the this guy the the what I want to say that the ceiling for this class is is sky high and Notre Dame recruiting is in a really good spot even after potentially losing out on some some really big targets but there's plenty to be excited about and the future of this team you know this season still a couple games left hopefully and then 2022 and 2023 look really really bright yeah you brought up you brought with you know, essentially saying it was, it's criminal that he's a three star and it's crazy. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse or anything in regards to, to, to Devin Moore. Cause I know we've talked about him, maybe not on the podcast at nauseum, but just in general, um, you know, amongst ourselves, he was definitely a guy that when he committed to Notre Dame, I felt was going to get that Kyle Hamilton level jump or, or something similar For reason. just is not, happened and then every single time you talk to you know you hear Loy talk about him you hear Sinclair talk about him you hear you know Mike Singer or Brian Driscoll or anybody on the Notre Dame beat that covers Notre Dame recruits who are generally pretty good at evaluating that these guys are going to be you know good college players or not they 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 have nothing but good things to say about Devin Moore and then on top of that teams like Florida and Alabama and I'm sure some other programs are still fighting hard for his. So I, I he, to me, like I've kind of, I think I've actually compared him on our podcast before to, to Kevin Stefferson, where he's going to stay a three-star for reason. <laughs> he's going to come in and contribute, I think, greatly. Uh, and I, it's going to be one of those things where I think the recruiting services at the end of the day um, got it wrong. And, and I don't really feel. Yeah, no, and, and they they get it right more often than they get it wrong. I think this is a this is an example of getting it wrong, and I think that'll that'll be uh, something we see here in the in the future. There's a lot of people that, that follow Notre Dame but don't necessarily. No, I agree. There's a lot of people that follow Notre Dame but don't necessarily follow recruiting. So it's fun for you and I to see these guys, you know, a year or two before they actually touch the field, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, where'd this guy come from?" and you kind of get to tell him, you know, the backstory. You know, I've been watching this guy for a couple of years, and I think Devin Moore is going to be one of those guys. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But like I said, don't want to don't want to beat a dead horse on that topic because I think me and you could probably throw a whole podcast just on that. But <laughs> but right. uh, um, let's let's get into Stanford here real quick. Uh, obviously, not a whole lot to talk about. Stanford's having a, a, a very down year. Um, David Shaw might even be on the hundred percent against he. He's gone. I mean, I think he's still a, a really good fit for that program overall. Uh, Stanford hasn't been the same over the last couple of years. They do have Tanner McKee back. Uh, this, I think they actually had him back last week as well, but still did not put up a lot of points against Cal. Um, and, you know, Notre Dame obviously has this no touchdown streak over the last three games that I'm sure. 
um, you know, add to, uh, to, to finish the season. Cause I think that's another, another thing the committee could look at and say, you know what, like, not only are they, they, are they rising or are they, are uh, and playing much better football, but now they have, you know, their, their defense doesn't even allow touchdowns. So why, you know, right. it, it, it's another kind of thing to put in the hat where the, where the committee can committee and say, you know what, this team is really good and they're deserving of, you know, maybe the number four spot, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to say that they're going to win 55 to nothing this week. I mean, it is a road game. You're traveling cross country, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, I think it's, I think last week I predicted something like 45 to 14 against Georgia tech something very similar. Um, I think when I actually do make my prediction, making it to where Notre Dame doesn't allow a touchdown again, um, you know, maybe a few field goals here and there, but um, Stanford does have some weapons. Uh, their, their tight end, uh, who is actually a Notre Dame uh, recruit or target um, in high school, Ben Urasek, I think is how you say it, um, is very talented. Another one is uh, John Humphrey or John Humphreys. Um, was a Notre Dame target as well. Uh, receiver who who is who is really good on the outside. So they definitely have some weapons here and there. But again, I mean, just like Georgia Tech, just like you know Virginia, it's sort of uh, a situation where there are there is some talent, but the the team's just not that good overall. Yeah, I agree. And there's nothing Notre Dame can do about the last couple teams not having their starting quarterback. If anything, it's unfortunate because that's what everybody wants to point to when, you know, you see these, these buck ass kickings, you know, really for, uh, we're, we're allowed to say that on this podcast. Um, hey, they, uh, <laughs> so you, you know, you see a, a backup quarterback in the game and everybody's like, Oh, well, they, they only didn't score because the, you know, the, the starting quarterback wasn't, wasn't in or whatever. And, and sure that's part of it, but at the same time, you, you can't take away from how good of a performance it has been. I mean, what other team in the country doesn't allow a touchdown for three games? Like that's wild. Maybe Georgia did it, but at the same time, that's a quarter of your schedule where the opponent isn't touching the end zone. So I'm not sure. That's just crazy. All year, to be honest with you. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, they don't really play anybody either, but, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's certainly something – it's been impressive from the Notre Dame defense. I'm not sure if they won't allow a touchdown this week. I don't want to jinx it, but uh, we'll see what happens in my prediction. Perfect, perfect. Well, I know we had uh, – before we get into our, our fun topic, and I'll kind of tease it here, it definitely has to do with some Thanksgiving dinner dishes and, and some Notre Dame players. But I want to talk – I mean, we, we've sort of talked about it a little bit, but I want to get into a little bit of the college football playoff talk. Um, obviously, Notre Dame sits at six now in the college football playoff rankings. Their highest ranking of the season up two spots um, after their victory this past weekend. And um, obviously, Michigan State got trounced by uh, Ohio State. And then, or same thing, got tra- got trounced by, by Utah. And those two teams moved back. So Notre Dame benefited from that. Um, still need some, need some help. Um, obviously, I mean, Ohio State and Michigan play this week. You'd think that the loser of that, I know, and of course, um, and then here in a couple weeks, you're going to get Alabama, um, which I think is probably the most important thing. If, if Alabama loses and loses decisively, specifically, I don't think there's a, a way that they can make the college football playoff with two losses. Um, especially because it would probably have to be a rematch with Georgia as the one versus four. Um, and, and no one wants that back to back, you know, but, obviously, but then you have the big 12 sort of creeping up. Now you have Oklahoma state with one loss and Oklahoma with one loss. There's a good chance they play each other twice um, with Baylor in there. So, I mean, I think Notre Dame fans are probably big Baylor fans um, at the moment. I'm hoping that they can somehow pull it off and, and win the Big 12 because no one in the Big 12 is going to make it with two losses. Um, but there's but there's a legitimate argument that Oklahoma or Oklahoma State could jump Notre Dame with two losses against the same team. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that's going to happen if Notre Dame really, looks really good against Stanford again. Um, but again, a lot a lot of stuff needs to go their way, and I didn't even mention Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati is another one where if they were to lose to Houston – um, which is very plausible as well. Um, Houston's, I think, ranked 24th or something like that. 
which was at the very beginning of the season to Texas Tech. Um, you know, I think they have a very good chance to to possibly beat uh, Cincinnati. So um, a lot of things could go Notre Dame's way, and a lot of things has gone Notre Dame's way over the last few weeks. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you need a little bit more help. I think I saw the analogy on Twitter that you know, uh, if you're if you're into gambling, it's a you got a 12 leg parlay going, which is obviously a long shot, and you're about nine legs through. So you need a couple more things to to go your way, and some of them look likely, and some of them not so much. Um, I think Alabama definitely has a chance to beat Georgia. You never count Alabama out, obviously, but um, you'd like to see Georgia just stomp Alabama, knock them out uh, out of the playoff picture entirely. You know, Bama wins or keeps it close. I mean, two loss Alabama in the playoff would just be a travesty, but it wouldn't surprise me based on how this committee is kind of acting. So there's a lot of things that could happen. You said at Houston definitely could beat Cincinnati if they come out sleepwalking a little bit. And then the big 12 is really interesting. You just need a split there, which I think is decently likely. So uh, a lot of games for Notre Dame fans to turn in, uh, tune into as well. Ohio state, Michigan, one of those two teams is going to be knocked out. So, uh, I think I'm, I'm go Buckeyes for the only, you know, the one week of the year, like normal. I, you know, I'm not sure I like um, Notre Dame's chances anymore after you comparing it to a parlay. Cause I've had situation so many times, before. <laughs> not necessarily a 12 teamer, but I've been in a good, some good five or six, seven, I think maybe eight teamers where I get the first like six or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I got a real good chance here. And then maybe the, the one team I thought for sure was going to cover loses or, or doesn't cover the spread or whatever it is. So I'm not convinced Notre Dame's making it, even though I've been talking myself into that for the last couple of weeks. Well, it's always the last leg. So I hope it's not the last leg and that my playoff hopes or what dreams or whatever, are just crushed because there's nothing worse than the last leg losing. Just don't give me the false hope. Just, just crush it yeah. immediately. I think the worst one would be if like Oklahoma or if, uh, if uh, Alabama lost on like a last second field goal to Georgia um, mm-hmm. and, and they stayed in with two losses. Cause then it's like the, what, what are we really doing here? You know, I mean, obviously from a talent standpoint is, is definitely a top four team in the country. I don't even think that's really debatable. And I don't think anybody's trying to debate that, but it's one of those situations. And it's very, when Michigan jumped Michigan state a few weeks ago, one week after losing to them, and it's just like, what, again, what are we doing here if on-field performance, meaning victories, win-loss record, so on and so forth, isn't, and like not the end-all be-all, the, the biggest factor in deciding, you know, who makes it and who doesn't. I, I'm not interested in finding out who the four best teams are, who the four teams are during the season and I think that's where people get mad about Notre Dame sometimes where they you know college football playoff they lose decisively to or Clemson or whoever but going they were maybe not a top four team from a talent standpoint I think it's very arguable they were at the same time it was better than them during the season from a standpoint so so on and so no, I agree. And then if the games don't mean anything, as they should, you might as well not play them at all and just be like, you know, you look at recruiting rankings or, or returning talent. Oh, Georgia's got a good team this year. Go ahead and slot them in. Go ahead and slot in Alabama, slot in Ohio State. And then you just pick a fourth. You know, I'm sure it's an SEC team. Like the games have to mean something. And we've seen that from the committee sometimes. And sometimes they decide it doesn't. So I do kind of feel bad. I, I don't like the guy whatsoever, but that Gary Barta dude from Iowa has to answer for all of the, the committee's decisions, which aren't all his own. And he gets asked some tough questions and he puts himself in an even worse position with some of his answers. So I, we got to do something about the playoff here soon. I think usually they end up with the right answer, but the process sometimes just makes your head spin. Yeah, no. And I think we'll, we'll have a little bit of when we get to the 12 playoff or whatever it is here in the next, next couple of years. Cause then, then we're talking about a completely different situation where, Notre Dame should be in it 99% of the years right. um, that we're playing just with the way their program is set up right now. I mean, they're, they're always going to end up being in the top 12 unless they have maybe a three loss year on a, on a rebuilding year or something like that. But um, 
I think right now, I mean, if you were to take Notre Dame from 2017 on, I think that they would make, they would have made the college football playoff in a 12 team format every year. Um, and that's, or at least may, maybe there was a miss one or two of those years, but, um, but I think I remember seeing something on every single season since the 2016 um, debacle that, you know, Notre Dame would be a college football playoff team if it was a 12 team uh, playoff. Yeah, I, no doubt about it. And yeah, it's ever, you said it ever since 2016 is the last time where the program is really in a bad spot. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen, but remarkable turnaround really. And Notre Dame's consistently, I'd say a top five or seven, you know, that second or third tier, depending on how you, how you break it down program. So consistently, definitely in that top 12. And uh, I'm not sure 12 is the answer. I think that's what we're looking at, but um, yeah, it looks like that. I mean, that's better than four. So I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, Nathan here from the golden homers podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses, exceptional quality meats. Meet up Vegas is my hookup. Meetupvegas.com. That's M-E-A-T meet meetupvegas.com. Their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet, pork chops, and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib. And you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks. All the meat is individually vacuum sealed to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer. And it's cheaper than you think. Check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code IRISH10 at checkout to receive $10 off your first order. The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930. Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. Well, I want to move on here. I know me and you are kind of excited about this. We've been talking about it for a few weeks um, with the Thanksgiving dishes. And one of the things we want to do is, you know, obviously with Thanksgiving being tomorrow and obviously when this is dropped, it's going to be tomorrow morning. So hopefully you guys are listening to this as your go-to podcast on uh, Thanksgiving morning while you're cooking in your kitchen or whatever. Um, uh, So Notre Notre Dame players to our favorite, um, you know, Thanksgiving dishes. We, we did the more traditional route. Some of these dishes you don't like. Some of them I'm not a big fan. I, I'm not as, as big of a fan of either. So, um, But obviously, uh, the five dishes we're going to go with are, are turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, and then pumpkin pie. I think those are five of the, you know, probably the five most traditional dishes you're going to find on Thanksgiving overall. Um, so, Mason, let's go ahead and start with uh, with the most popular uh, uh, turkey. Um, who, who would who would you compare to uh, to being the the main dish uh, for uh, for Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, the main dish has got to be Kyron Williams. I think he's everything for this Notre Dame team. You don't have Thanksgiving without turkey. You don't have this Notre Dame team without Kyron Williams. Uh, not only what he does on the field, you know, running the ball, catching the ball out of the backfield, pass blocking, but the energy he brings and. Uh, he, he brings everybody up in the locker room, it seems. He just has this passion for not only the game of football, but for life. And um, I, I just love what I see from him. And, yeah, he's he's the heart and soul of the team. And Turkey's everything on Thanksgiving. So easy answer for me there, Kyron Williams. All right. Well, so this is going to be interesting. So I took a little bit of a different approach uh, to Good. the turkey. Um, I know – I think it's kind of underappreciated. Um, I mean – is nothing without the stuffing, nothing without the gravy to spice things up when, when you have it. So it, it's somewhat underappreciated, but at the same time, it's, it's the focal point. It's, you don't have Thanksgiving without it. Um, at least in most, in, you know, in, in most families. So I ended up going a different route here. I went with Kurt Heinisch. And, and the reason well, I like that, I think he's kind of, kind of like a lot he said about Kyron Williams, but without being like, you know, decisively the best player to a certain extent, but it's just like, where would Notre Dame's defense be without Kurt Heinisch from a leadership standpoint? He, he, he does all the dirty and and opens up lanes for everybody else. Um, If Isaiah Foster and and Myron, you know, and some of these other guys were having this, they were without Kurt Heinisch, you know, in the fold. So, you know, I just think that he kind of brings the team together. He's the leader. 
um, you know, and so on and so forth. So th- that's who I ended up putting out for, for the turkey. So um, let's move on here to uh, the stuffing. Um, obviously, the st- and that's why they call it the stuffing. But um, what, what do you, who do you think is the stuffing of the, the Notre Dame football team? I took a very literal approach here just, just for fun. I, w- I actually went with your answer for turkey and Kurt Heinish. The run stuffs, man. I, I love it. Uh, okay. He's always stuffing the run, always clogging up the middle of the field and uh, just, just wreaking havoc in the uh, in the po- opposition backfield. Also, Kurt Heinrich is underrated and stuffing is severely underrated. I would say that's probably a top one or two side for me. So, uh, yeah, big on Kurt Heinrich, big on stuffing. Awesome. I sort of took the same sort of approach that you did uh, on here. Um, but I went with actually a linebacker and, and a guy that I think is, again, an underappreciated player, but someone who's been trending up specifically over the last several weeks. Um, you could argue that he's stuffing guys on, on special teams as well. And I, and I went with Bo Bauer. Um, first of all, his hair looks like it might be made from stuffing. So that, that, that's, a, that's something I had to take into account there as well. But um, I'm sh- I don't know what exactly are but without guys like Heinish and stuff like that in the middle of that defensive line guys like her and you know JD Bertrand was another guy I considered for this they wouldn't be able to and the plays in the backfield um you know with open lanes essentially to the running back of the quarterback so I ended up going with Bo Bauer for for this one nice I like that a lot all right let's move on to uh let's go with uh <laughs> All right, mashed potatoes. So I thought of this as another staple, right? Very good. You don't have Thanksgiving without it. Like if you're missing, you're like, what are we doing here, right? You need right. mashed potatoes for your Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, you need it next to next to the turkey, somebody that's uh, – or something that's uh, pivotal, right? It's a, it's a staple of your, of your offense. It's a staple of your dinner. It's Michael Mayer is the mashed potatoes. He he's everything. He's he's a complimentary piece, right? He can he can run block. He can catch. He caught a, a bomb touchdown against Georgia Tech because they left him uncovered. Or um, he he's uh, he's just good. And mashed potatoes are good. And I, I think that's uh, that's a clear answer for me. Michael Michael Mayer is the mashed potatoes. All right, you know I mine might not be a popular answer. Um, but, but I, I picked this guy for a lot of you did, but I also kind of did like the whole, you know, it, it's a very kind of like Mac and cheese. It's a, it's just like a very warm and, and fuzzy dish. I guess if that makes any sense, <laughs> um, <laughs> horrible analogy on my part, but it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's comfort food, um, is kind of really what I was going for. And where would Notre Dame be this year without Jack Cohen, uh, I'd transfer, the warm and fuzzy feeling that I was talking about is that, you know, he was a kid that always wanted the game, um, got his chance as a grad transfer. You know, he's had his ups and downs, you know, sometimes mashed potatoes have his ups and downs. There's a lot of families that make different types of potatoes on Thanksgiving. So it's not always the, the dish. And I know you said that it's, you know, it's it, same time. It's, you can do a lot of things. And so with Jack right. Cohen, um, you know that that's kind of the hit or miss with him this year, but to it, you look at his statistics, you look what you look at what here specifically in the second half of the season, um, and and like you said, where would you be without the mashed potatoes or the potatoes itself um, on Thanksgiving? So I'm going with Jack Cohn, um, and I know that might that might fire um, who who Tyler Buckner or Drew Pinecrest. But I think he's he's worthy of, of the mashed potatoes for for our Thanksgiving analogies. Yeah, no, I like it. I wasn't sure where you're going with it, but I I appreciate that explanation. It was sort of on the fly, so there you go. Um, last one here before we get um, green bean casserole. Um, I know you're not the biggest fan of green bean casserole, but I think you respect it as a as a, a dish. So, what's your answer? See, you, you said it for me. So I'm not a huge fan of green bean casserole. I'm not. Oh, God. On, no, I'm not a huge fan of green bean casserole, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this guy necessarily. But I can appreciate what he does for the team. I can appreciate what green bean casserole does for Thanksgiving. It's a Drew White. So 
He's not flashy. Green bean casserole isn't flashy whatsoever. Yeah. It gets the job done. Drew White gets his job done. He's usually assignment correct. He's a sure tackler. Green bean casserole is never, at least for me, it's not something where I'm like, oh, I have to have this. Drew White, you don't need him in the team, right? But at the same time, you know, with green bean casserole, it's nice to have. It's a, it's a not necessarily a staple, but the tier below that, it's a, it's a good thing to have on Thanksgiving. Uh, I guess I, I'll choose to have it rather than not have it at all. I'll put a little bit on my plate. I'll, I'll give me a little bit of Drew White. Man, it's funny how how much we disagree on this one because, you know, <laughs> my mom actually like because I, I we do family like um, like every every week or once every couple weeks, and I head over to my mom's house and she'll like three or four times out of the year, not including Thanksgiving will make me green bean casserole as part of a side dish for dinner. Cause she knows how much I love it. So I know this again, it's not maybe the most popular opinion, but from, for me based off of what green bean casserole is, this is where I went with Kyron Williams. Okay. And, it, and it's because I think it's the end dish of Thanksgiving dinner. And Whoa. I, I, I'm sorry to say, but it's, it's, that's disgusting. Uh, so Kyron Williams to me is the green bean casserole. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I said earlier that, that the hair for, for Bo Bauer could look like stuffing. I mean, Kyron Williams, I mean, it's a little bit different color uh, hair, but you know, his is, he's got a casserole on, on his head. You're reaching. So, so he's another guy that, that should have it. But, but again, it, it goes more for the MVP. Um, it's a, I, I, I almost took the underappreciated approach, but I think there's just talked a little bit too much about underappreciated guys to go with a guy that underappreciated, at least by Notre Dame fans, uh, maybe by Doak Walker um, award oh my God. ballot yeah, no people. He, he's underappreciated. Not be a stretch if I go that route, but, um, but no, Kyron Williams is the MVP specifically of, of the offense and maybe the Notre Dame in general. And, and overall, I think that, Dinner. You can't have Thanksgiving dinner without without the green bean casserole. At least not in my household. All right. Well, we need to move on to pumpkin pie. <laughs> I can't hear this. I can't hear this blasphemy anymore. All right. Let's. Who's your pumpkin? It's Logan Diggs. Is my pumpkin pie. Um, he's he's the thing on top, right? So you have your your dinner. Everything is good, and you have you have that solid that solid base. Notre Dame has a has a good team, but you have the guy that potentially puts the team over the top, and a guy that. He's extra. You don't necessarily – Logan Diggs doesn't make or break this team, but at the same time, he's that extra guy. It's like, wow, you know, he's uh, – you, you really like what you see in him. Your eyes kind of light up when you when you watch him play. My eyes light up for some pumpkin pie, even though I don't really need it. You don't really need Logan Diggs, but you really like what you see in it, and you got to have some. So give me some Logan Diggs for my pumpkin pie. Okay. I, I see what you – I took a different approach. And for me, I think you do need pumpkin pie. Not Not necessarily because – Cause to be completely honest with you, like if I had the choice of the two pecan pie would be, would be my choice. Um, apple pie doesn't dunks on apple or uh, apple pie dunks on pecan pump and pumpkin pie. You can talk about your lack of pie decision-making. You and Tom already did. And I'm tired of getting <laughs> teamed up on. But, but anyways, I went with pumpkin pie. Cause I think it's just, again, it's, it's a staple of Thanksgiving. It's something that you have to have. You're, you're probably already full when you're having it, but you, but it, but like you said, your eyes light up. Um, you know, you put a little whipped cream on there. Maybe you pair it with, with some other pies or whatever as well. But I went with Isaiah Foskey and it's because every time I watch that guy play, my eyes light up. I think he's, he's terrific. He clean, you know, to a certain extent, he cleans up after what the guys do in the middle, you know, Jason Adam Maloa, Kurt Heinish, MTA, you know, those guys are, are making it easy for him to be able to rush the passer one-on-one because you have to account for cleaning up his dish at the end of the day with some with some pumpkin pie um, and, and sacking quarterbacks in the Prosky as, as the pumpkin pie dish. I didn't anticipate our, our picks being so different, but I kind of I kind of appreciate it. So for those listening, we didn't we didn't share our picks beforehand. So these are live reactions to uh, <laughs> to our picks for, <laughs> for for good or for bad. So I, I think it's better that way. I think it's funny. Yeah, and then in the meantime, we got to talk potentially ten different players or nine because I think we both had Kurt Heinish at least at some point. So, um, so that, that's always good. But 
Uh, we, we're running a little long here, so I want to go ahead and uh, get into some some bold predictions uh, for, for this game against Stanford. Um, you just want to skip mine? No. I think it's – It's always the same. It's all right. I was... Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's my it's my shtick. It's my uh, – damn it, if Styles or Colsey don't score, um, I'll even – I'm even throwing in Mitchell Evans maybe. Like, come on. So one of them is going to score. It has to happen. I, no, I was you're really re- hoping you're it would happen. You're grasping for straws at this point. Just, I, I know. Just, just say everybody on the roster. It's sad to see my downfall. <laughs> just say every, every freshman on the roster outside of Logan Diggs can, can be the guy. All right. I'll estimate <laughs> counts for me. Um, I, yeah, I'm just – I'm reaching all over the place. I thought for sure it was going to happen when you and I were in attendance and, you know, we could, like, take a video or something for the people to listen. Like, man, Mason's been doing this for three months and it's never never came to fruition. But, uh, yeah, I'm sticking with it. One of them's got to score. I mean, I guess Buckner and Diggs have scored, but those aren't the guys I've named, so they don't count. Yeah, no, none of the, those guys don't count just because I think they scored earlier on before this prediction became, uh, became your shtick. But – um, mine, so I, I really wanted to say that the team, that the defense would, would hold Stanford to no touchdowns, but at the, at this point, that's not really a bold prediction um, right. with the way it's been trending. So I think I'm, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I'm going to say Xavier Watts gets his first interception. Yeah. Um, I like that. I know there's been some other people. I think Greg, you know, Greg Flamong, who was on our pod last week, actually, actually put that as his. So I'm kind of stealing that from him, but you know, Stanford can't run the ball. They're going to be more pass happy. It's the last game of the season for them with them not really in having a chance at a bowl game. So I, I think they're going to want to come out and get Tanner McKee going. And I think the safeties and specifically from that. And I think he's going to end up with his, his first pick of the season. Is he taking it to the house though? Uh, no, he's not Kyle Hamilton. Well, actually, I don't know, though, because it seems like every time Notre Dame picks a ball off these days, it gets taken to the house. So they did did it multiple times against. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. That would be a very bold prediction saying a house call at the same time. But I'm just going to stick with the I'm going to stick with the interception and and then hope that it's a house call. (laughs) Something that just crossed my mind. I hope Jack Kaiser never, never lets anybody uh, take away from him, but he couldn't have not scored on his two pick sixes unless he pulled like a Daniel Jones and tripped. But not only was the ball thrown directly to him, but he had just acres of green grass in front of him for his two pick sixes. And it's not often that a defensive player, especially a guy like a, a Rover, a guy that's, it was fringe is definitely not now, but he uh, gets to score twice. That's so odd, but I was just thinking about how, how wide open both of his touchdowns were. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I think all of their, all of their, their um their big boy touchdowns um you know for front seven touchdowns have kind of been that way this year even myron had a lot of space and then you know guys sort of caught up to him and so on and so forth but i, I i'm convinced he was looking for that stiff arm because i watching oh, yeah. live, it looked like he was just waiting for the guy and he kind of slowed up and then just so he could heisman him and then foskey tossing <laughs> the quarterback into the receiver or whatever it's just just carnage then left three georgia tech bodies watching him dance in the end zone <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um, all right, what's your what's your final prediction for the game? I always want to say just touchdowns, but it always seems like there's a random field goal probably on the first drive. So just under the 50-burger, I'm going to go 45-10 to 10, Notre Dame. Um, I think, unfortunately, Stanford does score a touchdown. Um, I think it would probably be towards the end. I could see this being like a 35-3 to 3 in the third quarter where it's very much in hand and Buckner gets some more time. And uh, yeah, I think they score a late touchdown. Notre Dame gets 45 pretty easily. I could see this really being like a 30, 31 or like maybe 27 0 at half kind of thing where uh, I think there's been a lot of stuff in the media that I don't know how Brian Kelly handles it with his team as far as like, uh, you know, you always hear, oh, this is bulletin board material. I don't know if he does this kind of thing with the team, but uh, style points can't hurt. Stanford has nothing to play for. I can't imagine that there's going to be many fans there to watch Stanford lose by 40 to Notre Dame. So, um, yeah, I think 45 to 10 is a, is a pretty good call. Just under the 50-burger, but uh, I think it's more likely they hit 50 than not. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm going to score in than you did. I still think they reach either close, like 40 or close to 40. 
Um, I'm going to say probably, I'm going to say 40 on the dot uh, for my prediction. And I'm going to go with 40 to nine, uh, sort of an Ooh. interesting, an interesting number, but I, I want to, I want to stick with the idea that the touchdowns. So maybe Stanford gets, you know, three field goals or the ball at times, but Notre Dame is stingy in the red zone, stingy on their, on their side of the field. Um, and, and I don't even know anything about Stanford's kicker. I, maybe I'm giving him too much credit to say he can knock down three field goals, but, um, I'm going to go ahead well, and I heard say nine and I was hoping it wasn't a touchdown and a safety. I was hoping you weren't throwing that in my face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not doing that. So I'm going to say 40 to nine or, you know, something close to that, but Notre Dame keeps him out of the end zone. Um, or the, the opposing team out of the end zone for the, uh, the fourth straight game. And, um, you know, sort of rides into, um, championship week um, on a high. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll know a lot more. Not necessarily about this Notre Dame team, but a lot more about their next opponent uh, by the time we record. Well, I got, I'm not. I won't be able to record next week, so it'll it'll be it'll be two weeks. I will be in Mexico next week, but um, we will know a lot more about Notre Dame's chances in about a, a week's time. So well, even less than that. So craziness man i'm uh i'm excited to see it all yeah and i'm sure it'll be a very uh a very jam-packed episode because of that we'll be sort of giving you two weeks worth of info um and one we're also uh um uh you know just so you don't have to hear mine and mason's voice only uh every podcast and stuff like that we're hoping to have another special guest uh we've, we've been talking to someone behind the scenes here over the last couple of days um uh, and, and that should be locked up here soon but um Whenever Mason gets back from Mexico, we'll reconvene and, and get you guys some info for hopefully Notre Dame entering the college football playoff. But if not, uh, most likely either the Fiesta Bowl or or the Peach. Um, I think what I essentially what I was hearing today is that if Cincinnati makes the college football playoff, Notre Dame's most likely in the Fiesta Bowl, um, and that could probably be a matchup against Michigan, um, assuming they lose to Ohio State. If oh, loses i think it would actually be a matchup against ohio state which i don't want to see no. um and then uh if they don't if cincinnati doesn't make the the college football playoff they would probably be in the fiesta bowl and that would push notre dame into the peach bowl and then from there i'm not exactly sure who they would play but um as long as it's not ohio state or alabama uh you can convince me on anybody <laughs> And that, yeah, it's a decent spot to be, really. Um, there's two teams you're really trying to avoid and hasn't been like that in some years. And it's not like they're uh, – Ohio State and Alabama are unbeatable, but at the same time you'd like a team that you feel pretty good about Notre Dame going into it or potentially even favored. And you have to imagine against Ohio State or Alabama, they'd be probably two or three scores underdogs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but all right, guys, we're going we're gonna to get going. Uh, you know, obviously happy Thanksgiving to everybody time with family um enjoy the the thanksgiving football that's coming your way and obviously enjoy some notre dame on on saturday which you know obviously shouldn't be too stressful of a game but we know how notre dame football can be at times so again enjoy yourselves have some great time with some family and we'll we'll see you in a couple weeks